in his time. He made all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. Today we're going to feast on the first part of this pericope of scripture found in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. And today we're just going to feast upon verses 10 and 11. And our message is entitled, In His Time. As I began to prepare this message, I came across a question that stopped me for a while, and that question was, what does the Lord think of me? We sometimes focus on what do we think of the Lord, but what does the Lord think of me? The Bible lets us know what he thinks of us because the Bible tells us he cares for us, he values us, he loves us. He knows us individually, he knows us intimately. But the question keep coming back to, what does the Lord think of me? One person put it this way, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. This morning we're going to address two points, God's timing and God's plan. So let's buckle up and see where God is going to take us today. And our first point is God's timing. And we hear these words being said. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Often we want to jump straight to verses 11 and 12. We want to go to that part that he has a plan for us and it's, it's a good plan and it's this and that. But in order to understand these verses, we have to understand the context, the backdrop, what's going on. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was known as the weeping prophet. He was called by God to share a very unwanted message to God's chosen people at a very critical time. Now, most of us will put our hands up if we get to share a good message, something that's going to make people feel good. Jeremiah was told from the beginning, I'm going to give you a message that the people will not want to hear. God sent Jeremiah to tell the Jewish people that because they had persisted in disobeying God's commands and because they were clinging to their false gods and false prophets, they would be exiled from Jerusalem and live as captives in Babylon. But even as Jeremiah began to give his prophecies, even as Jeremiah gave his messages, the people wouldn't listen to the warnings. They failed to adhere to the warnings of God to repent and turn from their wicked ways. In the year 605 BC, after Jeremiah had been warning the people for 23 years, 
Some of you say, well, Pastor Denny always hitting us over the head week after week. I ain't made 23 years yet. <laughs> it was then announced that the people of Judah would be taken into captivity to Babylon for 70 years. He says, because you didn't pay attention to me, because you didn't pay attention to my warnings, you are now going to be cast off from Jerusalem. You are now going to be in exile in Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah was led by God to write to the exiles who were carried away into Babylon. We see that in Jeremiah 25, and we also see that in Jeremiah 29. Many of the Jewish people were resisting the Babylonian king. They had determined to stay in Jerusalem, but God had warned that those who stayed would die. See, some of our ancestors were back then, and we said, I ain't going to Babylon, I'm staying in Jerusalem. I don't care what God said. I ain't paid no attention to 23 years and warning us, and now we're not going to leave. And God says, whoever stays, you will die. Hmm. You will no longer be under my care. See, God already knew that some of us always think we're going to outthink God. Some of us always think we're going to know better than God. And God says, if you don't go with the exiles to Babylon, you're not going to be safe in Jerusalem. You're going to die, and I'm not going to care for you. Many false prophets had risen up to tell the people of Jerusalem, don't listen to that, Jeremiah. The captivity would not last for 70 years. It would only be for a short while that the people of Jerusalem would be victorious. You're always going to have some liars out there saying something that don't match up with the scripture. And sadly, God's people listen to it because it sounds better than truth. 70 years. Hmm. 70 years of exile. 70 years of refinement. When it comes time to enter into our own time of refinement, our own time of exile, one thing that we can be assured of from today's message and next week, God even has a plan for us when we're exiled. Even when we're going through a refinement period, even when we're going through a pruning experience, even when God is saying, I got to put my hands on you and mold you and shape you and it's not going to feel good, he still has a plan for us. And it's all according to his time. We must remember during our time of refinement, during our time of exile, to be patient. That P word is an ugly word to many of us, even though we are children of God. But we have to be patient because God has his timing already worked out. And this might be a surprise to some of us, no matter what we do, it will not speed up his timing. Mm. God's timing, we often base our belief of God and his timing according to what seems right to us. So God says, I'm sovereign. I'm, I'm God all by myself. I don't need you to be a part 
of what my timing system is, so I don't ask you for your opinion, and I don't want your opinion, and I don't need your opinion, and it's not based on what you think. See, we, we, we are so good normally taking care of other people's time instead of our own. We got that brother or sister, that husband or wife, that child, that we think they should be further along than they are right now. And we can get to the point where we get impatient and tired and saying, I'm tired of this. It should be more done before now. Parents, you got kids, and they were cute when they were little. Now they ain't got big, and they still cute. But they're cute a different way. And now you're looking at, you're saying, man, I know they should be doing more than this. I know they should be doing that. No this. And God is saying, it's not in your timing. It's in mine. And that's hard for us to swallow. God's timing is a concept that we struggle with even as children of God. But God has given us so many words in the scriptures to try to help us with this. And many times we pay attention, but often we don't. But when I was preparing this, I came across a short verse, Psalms 31, 15a. And it simply says, and the psalmist is speaking, my times are in your hand. A short little, that's one of those, if we can't memorize scripture, we can memorize 3115a. My times are in your hand. So the next time you're going through some situation and you becoming impatient, you beginning to think God ain't moving quick enough, God ain't doing this, then just take yourself back to Psalm 3115a and say, wait a minute, my times are in your hand. That means that should bring me peace. That should bring me joy. That it's, it's not in my control, but it's in yours. Yes. Psalms 139, 16. Sister Bernice said this, but it goes a little even further. It says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Mm. Let me break that one down. God is saying, I have already ordained your days before you even had a day. Mm. <laughs> before you had a day, I've already ordained all of your days. Because it's in my timing. It's in my control. Matthew 24, 36 Talking about the return of Jesus Christ, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. You got believers buying books, wasting God's money. When somebody wrote a book and told them that Jesus is coming back November 15, 2020. And what does the Bible say? A fool and his money shall soon part. Somebody on TV and they prophesied, I had a revelation, I had this, I had that, and I know the world comes in. You do not know. You got congressmen and congresswomen talking about the world gonna come in in 12 years, and you got dumb believers. I ain't gonna have no kids because the world gonna come to an end in 12 years. Really? Really? Hmm. 
We often question God's timing. We often become angry with God in relation to his timing. Now, we can always act spiritual. We can always dress up. We can all say amen. We can all raise hands and say hallelujah. But when you think back in your life, has there not been a time in your life, and we ain't got to, you know, don't sit back there and look up in the air and think you got to think way back. Has there not been a time in your life where you thought God was late? And if he gets later, longer and longer, you get more and more angry with God. And then now we don't think he was late. The other one is we think he was early. How many of us been to how many funerals and we done heard this person left too soon? Person 102, they left too soon. Really? Then what the, what the chorus of the saints going to say? Amen, amen, amen. We see this concept of timing throughout scripture. Even in Jesus' first miracle way back in the wedding at Cana, you remember his mother came up to him and said, hey, you know, it was probably one of our parties. Wait a minute, we, we running out of liquor. We can't have no party without no liquor. We ain't got, we ain't got no wine. And Jesus responds basically to her, not with a rebuke, even though he says woman, but he's not rebuking her, but he's kind of letting her know my hour has yet to come. So we, we break that down and what does that mean? God is willing to act and he has the power to act, but he was only prepared to act at a time of his own choosing. We don't tell God when it's the right time. I told you when I first started preaching, young associate minister, and you'd be in devotion or you'd be in whatever you were in, and you start praying, and then you start using those phrases, right now, God. Go to the prisons right now. Heal right now. Like you commanding God. What he going to do? Go there, God. Go there, God. Go there, God. Do it right now, God. How dare I have that audacity to tell God when he going to perform? Mm. If we would just learn to wait on the Lord and trust his agenda for our lives, we would find that all things do work together for good to those who love the Lord. We like quoting those scriptures, but I said we got to move from just quoting it to knowing it and living it. The luxury of having memorization, that's good. Some of us getting older, the memorization is even going more. But if I know the scripture. So when something's going on in my life and I'm, I'm thanking God, I thought you would have delivered me by now. I thought you would have brought me out of this by now. But then God starts bringing those scriptures back to me and he said, wait a minute, I told you in the scriptures and Peter, I care for you. I told you in the scripture that I love you. I told you in Romans that I'm working all things out for your good. Then I start thinking of that stuff. And I'm saying, wait a minute, I ain't got nothing to be worried about. I ain't got nothing about losing sleep. I ain't got nothing to worry about getting an ulcer. That's an indictment on God for God's children to be looking older than what they should. 
You done ran across somebody and they told your age and you're like, what? <laughs> what? I done had a hard life. I had a hard life. Okay. How long you been a believer? So during that hard life, who was you depending on, God or you? So if you're looking like you do now, I know why you look like you do. See, I saved some of you some cosmetic money. I saved you a whole bunch. You're doing all this stuff, and God is saying, you worried about the outside. I'm worried about inside. I'm worried about that. You, you let me be in charge, and you be amazed. One of the greatest temptations that we have when we are waiting for God's timing is to take things into our own hands. Foolishly believing we will force God's hand and get things moving. We do it with one another all the time. We play games with each other. We manipulate one another. We do this and do that. I'll stop doing this so you'll do this. We do all this kind of stuff to try to manipulate and get what we want. And then we foolishly take that same mindset with God. And we think I'm going to be able to manipulate God, get God to do what I want. I'm going to have him do this or do that. I'm going to speed up the timing because I can control God. We know that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. If we are to wait on the Lord, we need the Spirit's help to cultivate this patience in our hearts. Because it does not come natural. It does not come normal. It is supernatural. So God is saying, I know you're not a patient person. But if you allow my Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, to strengthen you, you will be able to be patient with my help. So then you start thinking of those sermons that you heard on Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Have you lived that out in your life? Or are you some type of bird that can't fly? Because see, that eagle is flying. It's not saying that there's not turbulence. It's not saying that the problem goes away. But they're able to fly above it. See, all of us got issues. All God's children got problems. The issue is going to be how do you respond to them? You can sit and have a group of your friends that sit and moan and groan, hold hands, kumbaya, I got problems. No, I got problems. No, you don't know how bad I got. No, you don't know how bad I got. And you just go around a circle, just talking all your negativity. And God is saying, when are you going to soar? When are you going to soar? Some of us look at 2019, you didn't get off the ground. You like that plane, you know you got that flight and you're ready to go, and then that intercom come on. There's going to be a delay. And I was what? And now you're on the runway, sitting there for hours. Some of us as Christians are sitting on the runway, and God is saying, when are you going to take off? And some of us are saying, well, we're we going to take off when the weather gets better. And God said, the weather ain't going to get no better. I'm going to keep the weather nice and hot and bad for you until you learn to be patient, until you learn to trust me, until you learn it's not your timing, it's my timing. We like those scriptures, and I always say I love the scripture. I love going in the Word, and I love God speaking to me and saying, hey, this is something deep. 
there was a cute little story and I didn't have an illustration but it was a cute little story and there was a little kid that was praying and like a lot of times you know we laugh at little kids but sometimes their prayers are deeper than ours and the little kid was having some problems in his life so he gave this prayer he says give me patience and do it now God Now, when we hear that, we say, that's cute. You know, uh, now just assert yourself in there. Have you not even said a similar prayer? Give me patience and do it now, God. Hmm. God's timing is perfect because God is eternal. I like what he said in Exodus. I am God who always is. <laughs> there is no beginning there is no ending he's the alpha he's the omega he's saying I am eternal and since I am eternal timing is just something I have for you humans but don't ever think God is locked in to our sense of timing you have people going back and forth about creation was it six little days was it not six little days I don't care if it was six days or six million days I know he created it While God is above time, he is working everything out according to his divine time. There are some blessings that God already has for us, but he's saying, I cannot unleash those blessings now because it's not the right time in your life. We don't have to worry about waiting on God to be ready. The question is, God has to wait on us to be ready. So when people start making a list of what they're going to do 2020 and something like, really? Really? Are we becoming more and more like the world where we sit up and saying we're going to have resolutions like what Elder Joseph was saying and most of the re resolutions are just selfish goals so you can look better, so you can feel better. And then some of us are nice enough spiritual to say, well, if I feel better and do better, I can do more for the Lord. Okay, really. Okay. Because most of us know if you start feeling better, looking better, can start wearing some outfits you could only imagine about wearing, and now you can wear them, what are you going to do? Put it on. I used to hate sometimes when the summertime comes, they're getting ready for the summer. I, I want to wear a swimsuit. I want to wear a swimsuit. I'm saying, oh, you want to wear the swimsuit for the glory of God, right? No, I want to be able to get in this swimsuit because I always want to be able to wear a two-piece. And I want to be able to look good in it and stuff. So I, I'm like, really? How does it bring glory to God? You ain't worried about bringing him no glory. Do you not know that God could use you even if you 300 pounds overweight? Because he ain't dependent on your strength. He's going to give you the strength to do whatever he wants you to do. Now don't leave here and say, Pastor Dan, so I can be 300 pounds and everything else. <laughs> As we grow in our relationship with God, a mature Christian refuses to allow life demands to control God's timing. We've all had some of those people on our jobs and other places. They don't let nothing rush them. 
you know, and, and things can be just going all chaotic and stuff, and they just steady, steady, steady. That's the beautiful thing about God. I don't have no image of God running someplace to help me. He's cool. He ain't rushing. He's there when he's there. He's not there in the nick of time. He's there in his perfect time. Perfect time. And now let's look at the second one, the one that we really like, and you'll probably get some more blinks and some more amens on this one. God's plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I got to understand the backdrop to understand verse 11. Because if I don't understand the backdrop, I can run wild with verse 11. God's divine agenda will always supersede human agenda. God's divine agenda will always supersede human agenda. We serve one who desires the best for us if we will but live according to his will. When you look at verse 11, he's saying this plan will come to fruition after 70 years of being in captivity. So now y'all jumping up when you say you got a plan for it. Because this plan is not going to come to fruition until 70 years you do what I told you to do because you were disobedient to me. Mm. God's plan for us are precious because we are precious in his sight. Even when we are unfaithful, disobedient children, God does not stop loving us. He does not stop caring for us. We are not known. We are still precious to us. But then don't run on the opposite and say, see, I can be disobedient and he still loves me. Because you done missed it again. You're being selfish again. The 70 years was just for that kind of thinking. I can do whatever I want to do, even if you told me not to do it, God, because you got to love me. And God said, I can love you, but I can love you and make you go to refinement at the same time. How many of us can remember? We got someone who got to think back a long time. But how many of us can remember when we were little and our parents were whooping us with a belt? I hope DCFS ain't hurting. Some of us got whooped with more than a belt. And they would always make that common phrase. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Really? Really? I used to think my mother was a transformer before they were transformed. That little lady started getting big and went all over. Man. I said, I don't want to hear this. This is going to hurt me more than hurt you. But God is basically saying the same thing to the children now. I don't take pleasure out of exiling you for 70 years. I don't take pleasure for you not being able to be in Jerusalem. I don't take pleasure out of that, but because I love you. Those whom I love. Hmm. Psalms 139.17 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of of them. Trusting God, a powerful promise when you're in exile. 
See, they're, they're in exiles, and God is saying, trust me that in 70 years, I got something in store for you. Now, some of us here 70 years, and I, 70 years, I wait, 70 years? That's why the false prophets are running around saying it's going to be shorter. It ain't going to be all that long. God loves us too much to let it be that long. Saying the exact opposite of what God is saying is going to be that long, but it's because I love you. In the original language of this verse, the word thoughts can also be understood to mean devices or plans or purposes. So when you see that, for I know the plans, it could also read, I, for I know the thoughts I have for you. As awesome and great as God is, God is letting his children know, I'm thinking about you. Out of all the people in our family, I remember I'm dating myself, but I remember Ma and Paul Kelly and all these other shows, Charlie Chan, they had so many kids, they numbered them. They couldn't remember their names. <laughs> God is saying, out of all the millions of children that I have, I'm thinking about you. Mm. The great and awesome God is thinking about me. He's thinking about me even when I'm being disobedient to him. He's got thoughts about you and me. That, that ought to just marvel at that. God knows the plans that he has for us. He knows the thoughts he has in, for us. This concept of thought or thinking or plan has in it this ideal of weaving or fabricating or plotting. Mm. God is weaving, fabricating, plotting what he has in store for me. Mm. I always say, when I was an unbeliever, he was weaving and plotting believers to come into my contact even when I was an unbeliever, because he had a plan for me. It wasn't a coincidence that I ran into that teacher, Mr. Green, who was a man of God, who loved God, who was at a level that I don't even know if I've reached now. He was of a level that this car or this or that is not mine, it's God's. And I was an unbeliever, but God allowed that person to come into my life then. I remember when I was at Moody and I'm at school and one of my professors lives right around or used to live right around the corner by the now the Goodwill place. And when Juan and I come here the first time, I'm saying, man, this neighborhood seemed familiar. And God had had us come that close to where he was going to have me to be a pastor. He's orchestrating. He's weaving. He's fabricating all these things together because he has a plan. And he don't just have a plan for me. He's got a plan for you. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about what everything's coming in our life. He's saying, how am I going to use this for my good and their good? I'm going to work all this thing out. Even when we make ungodly decisions, God is already thinking, how am I going to weave this? How am I going to work this? How am I going to bring glory out of this? And some of us know we done gave him a whole bunch of work. God is not simply thinking thoughts about us during the time of refinement. 
but he's fulfilling a plan for us during that time. Well, what was this plan? Our peace. God has thought of peace for his children. His peace includes our safety, our welfare, even our happiness. He is seeking to weave peace into the very fabric of our lives. Hmm. One person put it this way. If we could fully grasp all that God has for us, we would do all we could to obtain his abundance. See, I think some of us, and all of us I think at different periods, but some of us, we really don't think God has too much for us. Some of us have such a low sense of value that we think we have no value. So if we just get table scraps from God, we ain't worthy of that. And God is saying, I value you greatly. I value you so greatly that I sent my only begotten son to die so that you could have life. So do you really think God sent his son to die for something or someone who has no value? So when I hear believers, I don't have no value, I don't have no self-esteem, I'm saying, are you a child of God or not? And if you are a child of God, you have value. He's got plans for peace, not evil. No need to fear the future. God never executes a plan of evil towards those on whom he places his eternal love. Even though at times it may look like God is trying to hurt me, he is never trying to hurt me. He is always trying to bless me. God has a purpose for you, so let him work out that purpose in his timing. Don't start looking at other people and say, oh, look at how much he's doing in that person's life. Look at how many doors he's opening in that person's life. Look at all that. Their timing is not your timing. Don't be worried about their timing. Be worried about God's timing for you. God's plans are never designed to break us, but only to build us up closer in a relationship with him. The last part is God has a future for you, a design. So can you imagine the exiles who have been told 70 years you're not going to be able to come back, but then now God is telling you, you have a future. I was watching something on a and &E. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but it was a series they had on A&E yesterday, and it was dealing with juveniles who were in the criminal system and they were being charged as an adult and many of them had been given death and then some of them had been given life without parole and all these kids kept saying over and over and over I have no hope for a future I'm going to spend all of my life behind these bars some of these kids were 13 and 15 years and they had a 65 year sentence now, just imagine us going into the prison and saying, there's hope for your future. What do you think they're going to say? You must be crazy. 
But is there not hope for their future if they become a child of God? <laughs> you might have been exiled to whatever prison you was exiled, but God says, if you are one of my children, you got a future, because when I come back, I'm coming back for you. Mm. But see, some of us are so full of ourselves and so selfish, but that ain't no future. Because you're now letting me know what your indication of the value of him coming back in the next life. So I just love hearing people talk. Sometimes they don't know how much they're saying. And I'm saying, now you just give me an indication what you think future is all about. But let me break future down and make it even a little nicer. God has a future for your uh, design, future, happy end, hope, a long-for outcome. The future belongs to God. I like this one. The future belongs to God, and God is waiting in the future for us. Get that. <laughs> get that. He's already in the future. He's waiting for us to get to the future. <laughs> He's saying, I'm waiting for you to get to me. And when you get to the future, I can tell you what the end is, and it's a glorious end. Mm. Our security is in him, not in the past, not in the present, but in the future. Hmm. Though their redemption would be a long process, God is letting them know, don't ever think I have forgotten about you. You have a future with me. We have to look at our lives and allow God to look at our lives. And has there ever been a time in your Christian life that you thought God had forgotten about you? And see, once a person starts thinking God has forgotten about them, then depression begins to come and flood that life. Because how could a person be depressed if they know they got a future with God? So all depression ain't chemical imbalance. Some of depression is because we don't trust God that he hasn't forgotten us. Well, Pastor, you don't know all the trouble I saw in 2019 and 2020 ain't looking too much better. And the question is, are you going to trust God through it? Because worrying through it, complaining through it, what did it get you? It didn't add a hair on your head unless you bought it. So we worried about sometimes diet plans, everything. And many times God is saying, that weight is many times an indication of you not trusting me. You worrying. Trust me. I haven't forgotten about you. I got a plan about you. I'm thinking about you even when you don't think I'm thinking about you. And I got a future for you. Don't give up. You have hope. Because I promise you, 
you will come back home, you will come back to me. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I ain't forgot about you. I, I, I'm just so amazed that even on that day when Jesus Christ comes into the air, God is saying, I haven't forgotten about you. How do we know we ain't forgot about him? Because we know those of us who might be alive and breathing will be caught up. But he says, I haven't forgotten about the brothers and sisters who might have died 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. When I come in the sky, I'm coming for all of you who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I haven't forgot one of you because I've been thinking about each and every one of you. When I'm going through a transition, God is thinking about me. Because the Bible tells me I am precious in his sight when one of his loved ones departs this earth. He's thinking about me. So that's one of those times you got to make it not everybody. I got to be able to be selfish at that point and say he's thinking about me. So don't leave here today thinking, well, he think about Pastor Denny and he got plans for him. He ain't got nothing for me. That's a lie. He's thinking about you because he cares for you. He cares for you. And in his time and in his way, he's working it out for your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this glorious beginning of traveling in these powerful verses and understanding how you used the prophet Jeremiah and to understand what they were going through and probably what some of them were feeling when they heard these words. And some of us now in 2020 may feel some of the same ways as those who were in exile, thinking God doesn't care for us. He's not thinking about us. He doesn't have a plan for us. He's not working for our good. And we know that those are all lies of the devil. Each and every one of us who are children of God, we have value because God has given us value. And he has a plan for each and every one of us to be used by him to bring glory to his name. So I don't know what everyone's going through here today, but you know God. And I pray that someone who came here today, who was almost ready to give up hope, you spoke to them today. Whether it be a health situation, whether it be a job situation, whether it be a marital situation, whether it be a parental situation, whatever the situation is, God is saying, don't you dare give up hope. Trust me, in my timing, and my way, I'm working for you. So we thank you, we praise you, and we say all these marvelous things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.